Good afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, February 10th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams, and this is KUAF. You can always listen to KUAF by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Later this hour, Mitch Walking Elk is the next speaker in the Museum of Native American History's Hear Our Voices series. Yesterday, we reached him for a preview of what he might discuss. I think what's what's on my mind as far as being an indigenous person and, and uh, what what's going on, what's what's going on currently, and uh, things of that that nature, and things I know. Mitch Walking Elk in our second half hour. In about four minutes, how the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas has been able to increase its scholarship opportunities for students. The Arkansas Department of Health is adding another 32 deaths from COVID-19 to the state's total. There have been more than 9,900 fatal cases of the disease in the state. Other statistics included in yesterday's report include 2,337 new cases, 36 fewer hospitalizations, and a reduction of active cases by more than 3,200. Northwest Arkansas hospitals count 159 patients with COVID-19 today. That's a reduction of 11 patients since earlier this week. COVID-19 patients being cared for in the region range from under a year to 96 years of age. Oklahoma passed a virus milestone yesterday. More than 1 million diagnosed cases in the state since the start of the pandemic. Yesterday, more than 1,700 new cases diagnosed and 86 newly confirmed deaths added to Oklahoma's fatality total. The community school, the Arts in Fort Smith, is receiving a $750,000 grant from the Maybe Foundation. The money will be used to support the school's Inspiring Excellence campaign to construct a new center for the creative arts in Fort Smith. The school has raised another $3.7 million toward that construction goal. Part-time employment opportunities with the Northwest Arkansas Naturals will be discussed tonight during a job fair at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale. Applications will be available and interviews conducted regarding jobs like parking attendants, ushers, grounds crew, and concession cashiers. The job fair will be inside the community room beginning at 5.30 tonight. Also tonight, the premiere of the documentary If This Walk Could Talk, the film from Larry Foley, examines the history of the University of Arkansas using Senior Walk as a guide. The movie will premiere virtually on the University of Arkansas YouTube channel, and there is a limited seating in-person premiere at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on campus. And the Arkansas softball season is underway. The Razorbacks opened the 2022 campaign at the Puerto Vallarta College Challenge in Mexico today. Arkansas will play five games between now and Sunday evening. The season's home opener... Thursday evening at 5 against Wichita State. And the Razorback women's basketball team hosts Auburn in Bud Walton Arena tonight, beginning at 7. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us on this February Thursday. With over 529 scholarships awarded in the past 22 years, the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas is announcing they are increasing their 2022 scholarships for students who plan to continue education after high school to $1,500. To give us more details about the scholarship and the trajectory of HWOA's giving since its inception, we asked Berenice Alcala an event coordinator for HWA, to talk with us. She spoke with Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith. She says the scholarships have mirrored the growth of the organization. Since our inception in 2000, we have awarded 527 scholarships to deserving, commendable Latino students. Our goal is not only to increase the number of Latino students that attend and enroll, but actually graduate from a higher level institution. Uh, We know that a lot of times our students have the intention to further their education, but perhaps because of financial burdens, they find themselves in a roadblock roadblock of sorts um, where it inhibits them from actually being able to go further in their education. So it is really important for us to provide these type of scholarships to students to let them know that there are organizations such as HWOA who support and believe in them. Um, and we just really want to help our next generation of young professionals. And I'm curious, um, as I was looking at the requirements for the scholarship and seeing what it's benefiting, can you tell me more about what kinds of education venues you guys are supporting with this scholarship? 
Yes, so this scholarship is available to, first of all, graduating seniors in high school, um, but also to those who attend a higher education institution, whether it be a four-year, a two-year, a technical school, or vocational school, um, traditional and non-traditional students. So whether you have been in college right out of high school, or if you are returning to obtain a higher education after a few years. So those are the, the venues that we are mainly targeting right now with the scholarship. I'm curious about really the trajectory of HWOA and the development of these more of these programs and scholarships and changing from when you guys began until now. Yes, well, I would like to share like a little personal story that I actually was a scholarship recipient back in 2017 when I graduated high school. So I can understand a little bit when it comes to the depth and the meaning that the scholarship provides. So I personally was a first-generation student. Um, on top of that, I knew that my family was not going to be able to support me financially. Um, but I've always known that I wanted to further my education. Um, so HWA really supported me in that mission. Um, and now working here, I can see the importance of, of this trajectory. So in the beginning, we were not able to award very many scholarships. I believe that the first few years, we would award maybe three or four scholarships. And through the years, as we have grown and gained more support, um, with the support of sponsors and generous community donations, we have been able to slowly increase that number. Um, so for example, um, one year in 2020, we were able to award about 40 scholarships, $1,000 each. So that is a lot of, that is about $40,000 right there to support um, students. So I can say that um, we are seeing an increase in students' um, intention and, and students' just motivation in general to attend college because they know that organizations such as this one exist and, and believe in them and we're willing to invest in them because we, we really want them to, to get every single resource that they can to become a future leader because we know that they are the next ones in line at the tables making those big decisions in the community. Um, legislation, just and, and teachers, doctors, um, every single category, um, we want to we want to support them. So um, now uh, we are actually increasing the the value of the scholarships from a thousand dollars each to fifteen hundred dollars as well. So we're so thankful that we're in a position where we can support our students. And as I said, I I know that perhaps the scholarship is not going to cover a full education, but it's definitely a huge help, you know, for tuition, especially now that. Everything is going up in price, so we know that it is it is very difficult financially uh, for a lot of our students. Um, however, uh, we we believe that this is really a good opportunity for them to take advantage of it um, and know that there are organizations um, and we believe in them. And we really hope that any student who is eligible um, and meets the criteria takes advantage of this and applies. And it never hurts to try. That is always the one thing that I. I like to tell our students is that you never know unless you try. Um, the worst that can happen is a no. Um, there's a million different doors open to so many of our students. And I just, I always encourage them to take every single one and take that risk. So, And I'm curious, how many people are applying for these scholarships? Because there's usually a discrepancy between how many or what students believe is how many people are actually applying and how many you know, put in those applications. There's it's kind of a disconnect there. So I'm wondering if you could, yeah, just comment on that. Yes. Um, well, I can say that we definitely have a large interest in our applications. So I would say hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of applicants um, for these kinds of scholarships um, because there is a huge need. And that is why we take such importance in, in the scholarship program because we know how many students actually need these opportunities and, and that financial help. So I will say that there are hundreds, but even then, um, I want to preface that um, it's not about having the perfect 4.0 or having the straight A's. It's about you and 
how much you're doing in the community and, and your interests. Um, those are the kind of students that stand out to us is those who demonstrate initiative and leadership in their communities, those that we feel um, are really going to take their education to the next level um, and make a difference. So that, that is the number one thing. It's not even about the grades. Um, I feel like a lot of times that is something that keeps students from applying, um, saying, well, maybe I don't have the perfect 4.0 or the straight A's, but um, there's a lot of other other things that we consider. Um, for example, um, we take into consideration your community service, um, leadership activities, and family responsibilities because we know a lot of the times um, our students are very involved in their families as far as working to support their family financially, maybe they have kids. Um, there's a lot of other things that we take into consideration that I feel like maybe other scholarships don't where they focus much more on your grades and your GPA um, more so than what you're actually doing um, in your community and your involvement in that sense. So that is something that I will I would I would also like to preface. So I'm wondering if you guys have had conversations with the community on how to adapt to the growing need, growing populations, and the evolution of the Latino community in Northwest Arkansas. How does the Hispanic uh, Women's Organization of Arkansas respond to that? Well, we are always definitely responding. And, and as we like to say, we are always keeping up with the community needs. Um, just as they are changing on the outside, we internally change our processes. For example, COVID was a big change um, where we saw a lot of families being impacted, especially people of color in the community. So as in the organization, we had to rewire um, and change a lot of our systems in order to be able to deliver our services um, to make sure that we that that our community is being supported. For example, um, in 2020, when COVID first started, we actually had um, what we called the emergency scholarship fund. Um, so, and so we had one our regular cycle, which um, is the one that we are in right now. Um, we're, they are awarded in the springtime. Um, but additionally, we gave another round of scholarships to respond to the high need um, and the financial responsibility and and the effects that came from COVID itself. Um, so I will say that we are constantly um, observing and analyzing what is happening in our community in order to, for us, rewire and make sure that we are serving our community's needs as they happen. Um, because every year looks different. Um, every year there are different needs. Um, the numbers change. Um, you know, as we get further down the road, we see generations, new generations coming in, and those generations think differently. So that means we also have to change the way we market, the way that we are, how, how are we actually delivering our message. So, um, you know, one of our goals is being um, and, and increasing our social media presence as well, because we know as we go down the road, um, a lot of our applicants are only getting younger and we're getting older. So that means we also have to stay on top of the trends um, to make sure that we are getting the message out in an effective way to them. So I think it's a lot of um, learning as we go and observing and changing our methods throughout the time. Um, but in general, um, the organization is really good at staying up to date with the community needs and making sure that we are delivering um, based on that as well. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with Bernice Alcala from the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas yesterday over Zoom. To apply for the 2022 HWOA scholarship, you can go to hwoa.org. Deadline to submit an application April 8th. Students must be of Hispanic heritage. The scholarship only applies to students attending an accredited technical school, college, or university inside the state of Arkansas. This is Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Theater Squared presents The Mountaintop, a play which reimagines events the night before the assassination of the civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When a stranger arrives at the Lorraine Motel with surprising news, King is forced to confront his destiny and his legacy to his people. On stage through February 13th, 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets and information. Ahead, Leah Uribe with a new sound perimeter dedicated to the tabla. And Mitch Walkingell, the next guest of the Museum of Native American History series, Hear Our Voices. Still to come 
on this Thursday, Ozarks at Large. Time now for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. On today's program, we'll have an exclusive interview with Laura Merling, who was hired away from Google by Arvest Bank to lead its ongoing efforts to prepare for the future of banking. Tyson Foods surprised market watchers with its quarterly earnings report this week, and one of the state's leading engineering and design firms is expanding. We've got all those stories and more after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Changing consumer expectations, emerging technologies, and new business models are forcing the banking industry to formulate strategies now to prepare for the future. Arkansas's largest bank has turned to a Google executive to lead its ongoing efforts to adapt to that new environment. Fayetteville Chartered Arvest Bank announced Tuesday the hiring of Laura Merling as Chief Transformation and Operations Officer. She started the job in October and is based in North Carolina. Merling joins Arvest from Google Cloud, where she was Chief Transformation Officer and Managing Director. I caught up with Merling earlier this week to discuss the move to Arvest and the kind of work she'll be doing as a growth strategist. Why did this job pique your interest? I don't know if you'd ever heard of Arvest before in all of your um, career uh, uh, resume, but just why does a Google executive see this opportunity with a, with a regional bank in Arkansas and think, uh, I might be interested in that? <laughs> it's a great question, um, and I had I had not actually heard of Arvest um, before uh, they had reached out to me. But um, you know, I think what's interesting, right, is um, I do transformation. That's what I really enjoy doing is helping companies transform their business or transform an industry. And I always take them, you know, as far as I can get them to wherever they want to be. Um, to, you know, sometimes it might change their mind or change their investment. And so it's really how far can you, how far can you go? And one of the interesting things here at Arvest um, was they're in it for the full transformation, right, across people, process, and technology. And that's driven from the leadership down. So, you know, there's a strong commitment here. And I think one of the things that was really interesting was, um when I first started chatting with uh, Kevin Sabin, the CEO, was this initiative that they had around drive change. And it was really getting everyone in the company to embrace this change and transformation that was ahead. And, you know, he had already started having the, the conversations with the company before I ever got there. And so it was a great foundation. And you can't ask for more than that when you do transformational work. So how do you build on those conversations? You know, Arvest is a bank at the end of the day, and, and banks do have a certain way of doing things that are that are kind of baked in, so to speak, and not to mention heavily regulated. So how do you communicate to this company that there is um, a different way of doing things and to really lean into this digital transformation? How have you been doing that? Yeah, you know, everybody has a lot of embedded uh policies, practices yep. across all industries. Yep. So it, it's not too unique, right? Um, but the thing that's interesting here is the great part, right? So I don't know, I don't have a banking background. I have a technology background. I've done transformation across a couple of different industries. And so I have the luxury of being able to ask a lot of questions. And the way that I help kind of prompt what the changes might need to be or how they might think differently right, or how we all might think differently, is to ask those questions. 
And so, you know, everyone comes along at their own pace. Um, some folks might take an idea or a question and act on it, you know, right away. And others might need to ponder about it for a few days. But really, it's about kind of just asking a, a whole bunch of questions. That's really how you do it. It may sound silly, but that's the easiest way. And, and not having the banking background gives me kind of the right to play in that area. <laughs> hey, I, I could appreciate that. Ask a whole bunch of questions. I've been doing that my entire career. Um, exactly. So, there you go. <laughs> the, just kind of the timing of this week's announcement. I'm sure that was uh, uh, intentional. You know, you actually started this job uh, late last year, I think in October, and so now we're in February. Um, what work have you been doing initially these first few months just to kind of start your, your work there at Arvest, and, and what kind of maybe tangible goals do you have the remainder of this year? Yeah, so um, so it's been a busy few months. Mm -hmm. um, we have done everything from look at, you know, when you're going to transform something, you want to know what you're transforming to, right? Where, right. Are we, where are we going? Where are we driving to? So we've been spending a lot of time on the, what do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to go from here? What does the bank look like? Not just what does the bank look like, but what does our customer base look like, right? The the landscape is changing of, of what consumers expect and who they are. So a lot of it's been the business strategy, but also understanding the customer base, understanding where we are currently, um, pain points, opportunities. Um, and that's looking both across our commercial customers as well as the consumers. Um, we've spent time looking at the technology, um, the underlying technology stack that supports the bank, uh, and looking for opportunities to, to leverage um, both some current technology, whether it be cloud computing infrastructure, but also looking forward at other technologies and, and what might be coming down the pipeline. So it's been a lot of work. Um, we still have some stuff to do, and I think that, that what really lies ahead has been, um, you know, it's the, the war on talent is no different uh, in Northwest Arkansas than it might be in Detroit or New York or San Francisco. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. uh, there's a war on talent. And so a lot of it is that our, our next focus is really around how do we think about upskilling, reskilling, and, and leveraging the talent we have to bring them along for the journey. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You mentioned your technology staff, and then you're, you're right, hiring talent, you know, because technology alone does not solve the problem, or at least I don't think that's the case. So how important is it for Arvest or any banking company to hire those employees who do understand or at least appreciate the benefits of digital transformation? Is that an important part of the process? It is, it is, but, you know, we also, we look across, so that the, the transformation is really across people, process, and technology, as I mentioned before. So a lot of it is, you know, yes, there's upskilling and reskilling to what we need for transformation, but it's also really about identifying those who are excited to learn, right? Who wants to learn? Who wants to be part of that change? And that's a key to it. So I think, you know, um, it's really important because folks that want to keep learning are just really at, at, you know, those are the folks that are going to be excited about it. They're going to take the opportunity. And so that's really what we're looking for as, as we move ahead. All right. That is Laura Merling, who is now the Chief Transformation and Operations Officer for Arvest Bank. You can find that story online now at nwabusinessjournal.com. On Monday, Tyson Food shares climbed more than 11% to an all-time high after the company reported first quarter profits nearly doubled due to soaring U.S. meat prices. The company's net income in the first quarter was $1.2 billion, up 140% from a year ago. Architecture and engineering firm Kraft & Tall of Rogers has acquired BNF Engineering in Hot Springs. That firm has 40 employees. Kraft & Tall now has more than 250 workers in offices throughout Arkansas and Oklahoma. And wealth management firm Greenwood Gearhart in Fayetteville promoted Lisa Brown to president. She's been with the company since 2016 and was previously the chief operating officer. For those stories and more, visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening.
This is Ozarks at Large. I am in the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio with Timothy Dennis. Timothy, we're about to talk about live music again. It's been a few months since we've done this. We've had a surge of the Omicron variant. We've had several inches of snow. (laughs) And ice and and everything else. But now we feel confident that you can make a decision if you want to go out and see some live music. Yeah, tomorrow night. Oreo Blue and Friends are going to be on stage for the happy hour set at George's. Very good. In the morning, the flow to the mothership. In the afternoon, they all go home. If the mothership ever should falter, Special friends include Buddy Whittington and Earl Kate. Buddy Whittington, he is from, gosh, he's from a band. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure which one, though. Keep going, I'm going to figure this out. Um, This happy hour show is going to serve as guitarist Gary Hutchinson's 19th (laughs) annual 50th birthday celebration. So you do the math on that one. Cover for that show is $8, and we'll get underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night again at George's in Fayetteville. John Mayall's Blues Breakers. Ah, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Later Friday evening, George's is going to have the fabulous Freddie Mercury tribute band on stage. That includes Benjamin Delshreve? I believe. Randall. Randall, I believe. Randall, yes. right. Absolutely. Cover for that show is $20. That gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night again at George's in Fayetteville. Elsewhere in Fayetteville, 612 Coffeehouse tomorrow night is going to have the David Baxter Band on stage. They're kind of a country-ish band from Texas. Okay. That show gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, again at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville, out on Weddington Drive. Right. Also in Fayetteville tomorrow night, the Hunter Tones are going to perform a set. That's right. This is uh, brought to us by the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. In conjunction with Fayetteville Roots Festival, it's going to be at the Roots HQ on the square. If you haven't heard the Hunter Tones, they're kind of funky jazz with a horn-driven sound. really going to fill up the Roots HQ with some Yeah, sound. and I mean, I can't imagine there are a lot of tickets for it. I mean, it being kind of a small yeah, venue, yeah. but tickets do start at $30. That gets underway at 7.30 tomorrow night, again at Roots HQ in Fayetteville. More blues on tap tomorrow night, this time up at Shirley's Bar in Springdale. They're going to have Blue Reed on stage. Cover for that show is $5. That gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Shirley's in Springdale. Over in Eureka Springs, Chelsea's is going to have Ted Hanning and the campaign, C-A-M-P-A-I-N, on stage. Okay. They're kind of a vintage-sounding rock and roll band. That set gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night again at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. Jumping ahead to Saturday, Nomad's Trailside in Fayetteville is going to have a show featuring Patty Steele and Dave Gamble, Paige Van Horn, and Sarah Lothan. Oh! Beneath our feet The days are long and the pay is small But the nights are short and sweet Take a bit of work. Kind of a mixture of folk sounding yeah. voices. Cover for that show is $5. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday evening at Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville. Also happening Saturday evening up in Bentonville, it's time for the monthly edition of Soul Night, put on by Music Moves NWA at Meteor Guitar Gallery. This month they're featuring Shantae Can. When I'm with you, I can fly just one look into your eyes I can see the stars 
blazing like a fire. Cover for that show is $20. That gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday night again at the Meteor in Bentonville. Happening in Eureka Springs Saturday night, Friends of the Family will be on stage at Chelsea's. Friends of the Family. Grateful Dead kind of jam band. Cover for that show is $5, gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday. Again, that's at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. Also in Eureka Springs Saturday evening, Dominic B. Roy will be on stage at the Gravel Bar. Yeah, I'm just trying to get along in order that tries to bring me down, but I'll not fall so easily. I'll stand up with my back straight, and if it's something you gotta say, you know where you can find me. I'll be sitting and strumming in that same old place and wearing my picking. So Eureka Springs has a population of about 2,000. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Saturday night, per capita, they have more live music than any other place in our listening area. I would argue that's accurate. That show with Dominic at the Gravel Bar gets underway Saturday evening at 7 o'clock. Another show Saturday night in Eureka Springs. See, this is one for every 200 and, no wait, for one for every 500 residents of Eureka Springs And I'm sure so there are a couple shows I'm missing out there on that I just missed. All right. This one's at Got a Whole Brewing, and they're going to feature Shannon Morse on stage. Oh, wow. Yeah, Shannon, great voice, yeah. great songwriter. Well, I don't know, but it's never quite enough. Never quite enough, for it's too much. All I know, it doesn't have to be so tough. I beat it to the ground for whatever gets up. I'm always cracking jokes about the judgment day. The judgment that show gets underway at 5 o'clock Saturday evening at Gotahole Brewing in Eureka Springs. Down in Fort Smith Saturday night, Temple Live is going to have kind of a throwback show to 70s and 80s rock and roll. Think like Kiss, ACDC, Guns N' Roses. They're going to feature the bands Throws of Rejection, Marsha Brady, and Vertical Groove. Marsha Brady. I love that name. Cover for that show is $15, starts at $15. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday evening, again at Temple Live in Fort Smith. Do you think Maureen McCormick will be there? I doubt it. Okay. I mean, she's too busy refurbing homes. Is that what she does now? She has a reality TV show of renovating like mid-century houses. Maureen McCormick, who was Marsha Brady? Yes. Yes, it's on Discovery Plus. Look it up. Okay. I forget the name of it, but it's there. Does she ever have like Eve Plum, who played Jan as a guest? Uh, I mean, she's not there to determine if the walls are straight up and down. I mean, (laughs) right. moving on. Still on Fort Smith Saturday night, Majestic is going to have Josh Weathers on stage. A Fort Worth-based soulful singer-songwriter. I know But I gotta let you know You know Cover for that show is $10 in advance, goes up to $15 on Saturday. That gets underway at 8 o'clock, again Saturday night at Majestic in Fort Smith. Jumping ahead to Wednesday, Todd Snyder is going to be in the area. Hopefully you're going to hear him on this show. We're still trying to work out some details, but hope he not to perform, but just a conversation. Right. He's one of my favorites. I love Todd Snyder. He's incredible. I saw him a couple years ago whenever he was one of the headlining acts at Peacemaker, and he, oh, just, yeah. he just blew me away. Tickets for that show are $20 in advance, go up to $25 on next Wednesday. Again, that is at 8.30 p.m. at George's in Fayetteville. And then Ben Harris is going to take up his almost weekly residency at 612 Coffee House next Wednesday. Plays solo acoustic guitar. That gets underway at 5 o'clock again next Wednesday at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville. All right. That'll take you into mid-February and beyond. Correct. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. American singer, songwriter, and actor Josh Groban and his Harmony Tour with Preservation Hall Jazz Band will perform on Thursday, July 21st at Walmart Amp in Rogers. Tickets are now available at amptickets.com or 443-5600. This is Ozarks at Large. Saturday, the Museum of Native American History, Mona, in Bentonville, will continue its series, Hear Our Voices, with educator, musician, songwriter, activist, storyteller, and Oklahoma native Mitch Walking Elk. This will take place via Facebook Live. Mitch is a coordinator of the Indigenous Youth Ceremonial Mentoring Society. He's an educator at a school in St. Paul, Minnesota, dedicated to underserved populations. 
He's toured several continents, and he has seven CDs to his credit. We reached him yesterday by phone, and I asked him, with so many life experiences and talents, how he decides what to address for a public appearance. I think what's what's on my mind as far as being an indigenous person mm-hmm. and, and uh, what what's going on, what's what's going on currently and uh, things of that, that nature and things I know, you know. So I, I think about it a lot. Uh, I'm not a, and as far as music is concerned, I hate to rehearse. And so I generally wait for about a week and a half, two weeks before I got to do a gig or a concert. And then I, then I start, getting my fingers ready and my voice, et cetera, et cetera. When did you first pick up the guitar? I was a teenager. Um, I've actually lost, can't remember how, how old I was. I was 17 or 18. Uh, I could always sing. I always knew that even from when I was 9, 10 years old. And I learned to play the guitar because I had musicians around me and I was tired of having to rely on somebody else to um, to play music for me. And so, uh, you know, I don't know how in-depth I should be here, but uh, I had a lot of time on my hands in those days and I really wanted it. I could I could taste it. And, uh, and so I... I bought a guitar. I was in a lockup situation in those days in the Oklahoma State Reformatory. And I bought a real small silver tone guitar for four packs of cigarettes. Uh-huh. And my cell partner uh, knew three chords, E, A, and B on the guitar. And he, guitar, and he showed me those three chords, and I played those uh, chords for months. And then I had other people show me other chords and I went back to show him and he didn't, he wouldn't, he, he was content. He didn't want to know anymore. What I, what I love about your music is it's, it's, you, you can't put a, you can't put a, uh, a label on it. It, it's, it's, it, from what I've discovered, it's just about everything. Yeah, that, that's true. And that's, that's a blessing and a curse, you know, because, you know, if you watch the voice then you will, a lot of times you'll hear, uh, um, John Legend, he'll ask his uh, teammate or whatever you want to call, he'll ask them, um, what do you want to do in music? And, you know, and generally I think he's talking about what genre, you know. And me, I, yeah, I am. I'm all over the place, you know, and it's that's a blessing because I can do more than one style of music. But But for promoters and... I guess record producers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they want you. They want to lock you in. They want to put you in a box. And I'm boxless. So <laughs> I, I have been. Part of your audience, I, I'm assuming, that will be with the Facebook Live event on Saturday through Mona, will be people like me with, you know, dominant European ancestry and yeah. don't have mm-hmm. the same experiences. How valuable is it that? we hear some of the things you talk about? Well, have you ever heard of papal bulls? Yes. So I was surprised when this issue of papal bulls and the doctrine of discovery uh, really, really came up. And uh, there is a video by a man named Stephen Newcomb and Sheldon Wolfchild Peters. And it's called Unmasking the Domination Code. And I would recommend that everybody, um, whether you've heard about the papal bulls and the doctrine of discovery or not, and you haven't seen this video, to get it and see it and watch it, um, because it explains in great detail um, what they are, where they come from, what era they they came from, and what they... What they did, so so it's a very uh, educational piece, and I was really surprised at how many people never even heard of papal bulls when we started working on this issue. And as far as the doctrine of discovery in my in my indigenous activist life, I myself 
had heard of the doctrine of discovery for years, but never really knew the details about it. But I knew that it wasn't good for us, indigenous people, Indian people. And then having been at Standing Rock in 2017, it was a, well, actually it wasn't an eye opener for me. It was a confirmation for me that the, the papal bulls and the, what, and the, thing that the papal bulls gave birth to is the doctrine of discovery and imminent domain and manifest destiny. Those other two babies, uh, was still, still in effect. And so my hope would be that the listening audience would want to hear about these things, even though it might sting a little bit, but it's an eye opener. Well, what I think I know about the papal bulls is part of it is this, this idea, this, what, this proselytation, this conversion, this, and those are probably the nicer words, but the idea that Christians finding a country that would be inhabited by indigenous people who weren't Christian had the right to do with the land and the people what they saw? I mean, is that sort of what the papal bulls? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that touches on it. You know, there's, of course, there's more to it, and and, uh, the the Catholic Church at that time um, declared themselves to be God's representative on earth, and they gave, which gave them the right to give their explorers, Cortez, etc., the right to claim all uh, lands where there were not Christian people for the Catholic Church. And if, and this is a biggie, if they deemed the people of those lands to be people, to be human beings, and there were times that they didn't, then they would offer them Christianity. If those people rejected Christianity, then the orders were for them to be enslaved, um, executed, and the resources from the land the gifts from Mother Earth to be taken in possession for the Catholic Church. And it's not just the Catholic Church. Once you understand that in uh, European countries, uh, once the other countries of the world um, and the other religions uh, became aware of what the Catholic Church was doing and had discovered, so to speak, um, they chimed in with their version of it. And so that's why in the South... Um, South America, they speak Spanish and Portuguese, and and up here there's English and French, and so, I mean, it's it's a it's a big deal. And what they created at that time, the papal bulls created, was a mindset that still exists today, and that's that's them who are up here and us who are down here, down below, and less than and. And then the doctrine of discovery is the basis for what countries, uh, governments of the world, I should say, lay claim to uh, um, indigenous lands. And that applies to uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia, the Philippines, the United States, uh, South America, Canada, so on and so forth. There's (laughs) deep, deep value in knowing history, isn't there? Yes, yes, uh, especially this kind of history. And, you know, um, we're taught in school, I was taught in school, that the uh, Columbus was looking for a, a new route to the Indies for spices, you know, and we're taught that uh, the immigrants that came over here from England and France and so on and so forth, so forth, they were looking, they were persecuted in their countries because of their religion, and so then they were... They came over here. Well, some of them were kicked out of their countries because of their behavior, you know, as in the instance of the people from England who were exiled to Australia, right. you know, and then, and, and, and so, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't want to get on a big negative, but, uh, this is the truth. These are the facts. Right. These are the real facts. Mitch walking elk is the next guest of the Museum of Native American History's Hear Our Voices series. It takes place Saturday morning at 11 via Facebook Live. You don't need 
a Facebook subscription to participate. Details about the event and other events taking place at the museum can be found at Mona.org. That's M-O-N-A-H dot org. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We opened Sound Perimeter today with the main percussion instrument in the northern Indian classical music tradition, the tabla. Tabla is a pair of hand drums made of wood, clay, or metal. There is evidence of the existence of the tabla in Persian music from the 13th century, becoming part of the Indian traditions in the 18th century. The instrument didn't really get to our Western ears until much later, infiltrating popular culture in the 1960s thanks to George Harrison and the Beatles. One of the main characteristics of Indian classical music is the lack of notation. Tabla rhythms are very complex, and the process of learning them is very particular, handling drumming as a language. Every sound in the tabla has a name, and players use those names as mnemonics that later will be executed in the instrument. Listen to a short demonstration of tabla playing by Nilan Chaudhuri, tabla instructor at the Ali Akbar College of Music in California, an institution founded in 1967 to preserve the traditions of classical North Indian music. Tabla sounds have penetrated other music worlds, including that of Western symphonies. In fact, the tabla's richness will be brought to Northwest Arkansas when Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, performs Sri Lankan-born Canadian Dinuk Wijeratni's Tablas Concerto at the end of this month at the Walton Art Center. More information on this show in our notes. Wijeratni, a multi-award winning composer, conductor and pianist, wrote this three-movement piece in 2011. This work honors classical Indian music traditions while at the same time exploring the tabla and orchestra synergy through other musical languages such as Baroque, canons, and electronic music break beats. Let us listen to an excerpt from the Tabla Concerto, first movement, canons, and circles, interpreted by the Boston Conservatory Orchestra and soloist Sandeep Das. Thank you. 
excerpt from Dinuk Ujeratni's Tabla Concerto First Movement, Canons and Circles, interpreted by the Boston Conservatory Orchestra with soloist Sandeep Das. We close Sound Penimeter today with Big Time Sensuality, an electronic house-influenced 1993 song by Icelandic singer, songwriter, composer and producer Björk. She performed Big Time Sensuality in 1994 as part of her MTV Unplugged list in an arrangement that involved the tabla performed by Calvin Sink, an English musician, producer, and composer, after whom, by the way, my own son is named. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Morrison Bluff. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors for this Thursday included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Timothy Dennis, and Leo Ribe. Timothy also produced today's episode of Sound Perimeter. The Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report with Paul Gatling is produced by Stephanie Brock. It's part of our partnership with talk, business, and politics. Sherry Ottaviano, by the way, KUAF's membership director. You can find past editions of our show at ozarksatlarge.com. Also there, individual stories and interviews with links that allow you to share those stories and interviews with friends and loved ones through email or social media. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 for another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. You can listen through the KUAF app for free if you'd like. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio in the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. Stay well. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk again very soon.